We're thinking about community this morning, and um, I've been thinking about how we all have something to give and something to receive from one another. And in that spirit, as I was preparing for the nine o'clock service this morning, I suddenly remembered um, a DVD that was lent to me two years ago, and I thought I really ought to return it. So I returned it with my shoulders hunched and an apologetic stance to the man who uh, had lent it to me two years ago. I said, I'm really sorry, here's your DVD back. And I was very surprised when he said, oh, well, I've got a present for you. And so... (laughs) I was expecting to be groveling, but he gave me even more. He gave me a present, and the present was this hat. (laughs) I rather like it. He's over 80, and I'd envied his red version that he was wearing back in the winter. (laughs) You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. (laughs) And he remembered, and he gave me one as well, so that's very nice. And I thought it spoke of um, grace, graciousness, forgiveness, generosity and for Robert hope for you that one day I might return your DVD as well that you lent me at Christmas but there's no pressure to add to my wardrobe either (laughs) okay Um, so this term we're thinking about growing community and um, we're thinking about how we grow in maturity but also how we grow in numbers as a community And I guess the springboard has been those little verses in Acts about um, how the the early Christians were together. And we're kind of developing that a bit more this morning by looking at um, these verses from Hebrews. And if you kind of, if it helps you to know where I'm going in the next few minutes, we're going to be thinking about the beauty of community, the power of community, and the pain of community. But we'll start with the positives. (laughs) So when we look at these early verses about um, the early church, we can see that they did an awful lot together. Yes, of course, they came together to pray and to worship, but they also met to share meals. They shared their possessions with one another. And if anyone was in need, they, they would give to one another. They supported each other practically. But also, um, these verses in Hebrew show us they were also emotionally supportive of each other. They were urged to encourage one another, to spur each other on to love and to good deeds. And in order to do that, what they had to do, they had to actually meet with one another. They had to get to know each other, properly get to know each other. How can you encourage someone if you don't know when they're having a down day or a bad day? How can you give to someone in need when you don't know their situation and clearly they were generous with each other as well it's a beautiful picture of community we see in the bible and i was thinking that for those who are here last sunday evening at our baptism service here in church that was a beautiful picture of community as well if if you weren't here i just want to paint you a little picture i was sitting behind this pillar so i couldn't see everything But what we had were four young people coming forward for baptism. And as they came forward, um, they were gathered around by their friends and those who cared for them. And that was moving. As well as the young people gathered here, I know that um, Viv and Paul, parents of three of the baptism candidates, um, had invited older people from our community who had been there right at the beginning when those little ones were born. And they needed so much help and support and practical care 
to get through those early days. That was lovely to see the community gathered around that particular family. But also as I looked around church, um, I could see through to the band and I saw a father and daughter both playing the percussion together, the drums, and looking at each other and just enjoying that moment of helping to lead worship together. And then to top that, Michael jumped up. Michael, who's a little bit older than me and has Down syndrome, spontaneously decided to lead some signs for the worship of the song that we were singing. And he just, it was a beautiful moment as he signed and grew in confidence. So everyone joined in the signs with him and uh, brought a new meaning to a song that we sing quite often. It was just beautiful, him saying that you are good, good, and you're never going to let me down. It was just a wonderful moment. And then also looking around, seeing other people worshipping through tears, knowing that things are really, really hard in their lives, but choosing to come and to be here and find strength and encouragement from being together and reaching out to God. That was a beautiful moment of community life for us here at All Saints. Hmm. But, of course, we're not meant to be a little happy bubble in the walls of All Saints Church, are we? Uh, Paul, in his writings in the New Testament, also encourages the, the people in Rome, the Christians in Rome, to devote themselves to one another and to extend love to each other and to give to those in need. But he also says that people should per, um, bless those who persecute them. They associate those with, in lower position And if their enemies were hungry, they were to feed them. There's something about looking out beyond the immediate community. I've been thinking about community quite a bit over the last few years, and there's um, a piece written by the Church Urban Fund that I found particularly helpful, and it's called Building Communities for the Kingdom. And it starts like this. It says, The church is called to join with God in his mission to see the kingdom come in our world. This joining with God means building kingdom communities, breaking down barriers between people, and enabling mutually transforming relationships shaped by reconciliation, sacrificial love, friendship, and grace. So as we take this beautiful community that we often experience for ourselves here at All Saints, and as we take that to those that we spend time with in the week, that will communicate powerfully something of God's love and grace to those who don't know God yet. It's quite um, popular to take a a pop at the Church of England. Is that the expression? Take a pot. Take a pop. Pop. (laughs) And... um, But there's one thing that I particularly love about the Church of England, and that is the parish system, that no matter where you live in our country, somewhere you will belong to a church that is there for you at every stage of life. But the trouble is that times have changed since the parish lines were drawn. And now the people that perhaps we spend most time with don't live literally in our street or in our parish. We might spend more time with the people we work with, maybe in Swindon or Bristol, or maybe the people we communicate with most deeply live on the other side of the world and we're communicating online to them. And I suppose in the past, um, as a church, we've tried to put on really fantastic things here in the church to try and drag people in to come and find out about the good news of Jesus. 
but it's almost too big a journey for many people to make now. It's almost as if there are two great chasms they have to cross to make it through the door. One of those chasms is a spiritual one, and I guess we have to leave it to God and his spirit to work in people's hearts. But if there's a cultural chasm as well, that's something that we can help with. We can cross that divide. I was reading a piece about this sort of area written by some Australians, and they were um, comparing different types of farming. And if we were to go up for a walk together up the hill here, every piece of land would be surrounded nice and neatly by a fence or a wall or a hedge, wouldn't it? But if you travel to Australia and the outback and those great expanses of land, instead of building fences, which they could never hope to maintain, they dig wells. They dig a well, knowing that the livestock will not stray too far from where there's life and refreshment. And I thought that that's a really good picture of how we can be with the people that we spend time with in the week, whether that's at home or at work or even online. We can be that life-giving presence, and we can change the culture to be more like that of the early church, which we do to move off the agenda and spend time getting to know the people we're spending time with, listening to them, what makes them tick, what their concerns are, what their gifts are, and being generous with them. I've mentioned the family who had three children baptized last Sunday evening. The fourth was a young man called Ben. And Ben uh, came to be here through the work of the Enrich Project. And I was thinking back to the origins of that and how Clive and Sarah Anderton, right in the early days, would go and sit on a bench somewhere on a cold night with a flask of hot chocolate. And they were like a little well, a spring of hot chocolate <laughs> that drew the young people who didn't have very much to do in our community to them. And we've all witnessed that work that's continued over the years and um, just so wonderful to hear those encouraging stories of people like Ben who have come to know God. They bridged that cultural chasm and then God did the rest and wouldn't let Ben go. That was another precious moment last Sunday evening. That picture up there is um, of a couple of weeks ago in the road where I live and just after the uh, royal wedding we invite just put a note through all the neighbors doors saying bring a chair and something to share <laughs> and about 100 people turned up just for an impromptu little kind of tea party on the green and having had uh, the service the day before and that extraordinary sermon God was very much on the agenda and it was just a wonderful opportunity to see neighbors talking to each other working out how they can help each other and maybe we pray come closer to knowing God too. Community can be a powerful thing, a beautiful thing, and a powerful thing. That's all lovely, lovely, isn't it? But um, the unfortunate reality is that people are not easy. Uh, we see that quite quickly in the New Testament, how there are rifts and divides, and people get it wrong. And we all know people, I'm sure, who are a complete pain in the neck. <laughs> people hurt us, they disappoint us, they let us down, they don't say thank you, they do things differently to how we do them, they're too flippant, they're too boring, they're too serious. 
they're too exhausting. And what with all the other demands of life, it's very tempting to want to withdraw, isn't it? That's part of the pain of community. Another aspect of the pain of community is that when we come to love and care for people, their pains and sorrows become our pains and sorrows. And as a community, this week we've been remembering how we lost Luke a year ago. And it's been hard to be completely happy knowing that there's also sadness. There's been pain in the community. But there's also been beauty too, as friends have gathered around Luke and Virag and James and Sophie and marked that landmark date in their diaries and in our diaries. Beautiful and painful. So why don't we just all settle for a quiet life? Why don't we just all mind our own business and go home? Because surely God's just as present in our back gardens or up on the hill or in our kitchens as he is here in church. Isn't that right? Well, we can perhaps go right to the beginning of the story. Let's go back to Genesis to see an answer to that. When God made this beautiful world, he said, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. But the one thing that he said was not good was for man to be alone. He made us in his image, which means we share some of his characteristics, his creativity, his morality. He's relational. There's a purpose. And we can't fulfill who we were meant to be in isolation. We need each other. The pictures of the church in the New Testament are not little bods on their own in their relationship with God. We read about a body where every part has a function. We read about living stones built on the cornerstone of Jesus, but all depending and resting on one another. So how are we going to enjoy this beauty and the powerful nature of community, but how are we going to get through those times of pain which will inevitably come. Well, I think the secret is in that um, first part of the Hebrews reading where the writer says we should draw near to God, draw near to God, because he is the source of love. When we feel empty, he never runs out of love. Of forgiveness, when we've been horrible and foul (laughs) and need forgiving, then we receive his grace and then we know we must extend that to those around us. It's the place to go and shout and scream and cry to get a fresh perspective and a new hope. In fact, if we don't do that, then we're not being authentic. We don't have integrity. If we don't drink from that stream ourselves to find life and refreshment, how can we hold that out to the others that we meet in the week? And again, as we go back to God, we ask him again to fill us with his spirit. That spirit which, yes, is about dreams and prophecy, but is also a spirit of wisdom, of understanding, about not making judgments by just what we see, a spirit that equips us to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to comfort those who mourn. If we will draw near to God that will enable us to draw near to others. So Mark has set us a big challenge to grow. (laughs) But it's not an original challenge. Jesus set it too. 
the Great Commission to go and make disciples in all places. And that's matched by the Great Commandment too, to love God and to love our neighbor. Sitting quietly and behaving in our pews does not make us a community. That makes us a congregation. We become a community when we actually go off the agenda, make time for each other, listen to one another, actually take off our own masks and reveal who we truly are and are generous with each other. That enables true community, and that's a beautiful community, which will be a powerful witness as we take that to the people we spend time with this week.